0: Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, we we ask that you would open our ears to your word. Open our eyes to you. Open our legs to serve you and to strengthen our legs to serve you. Release our tongues to praise you and to share the good news. Oh Lord, do a work upon us in the deserts of our own lives but living water flow we pray these things in jesus name amen as i begin this morning I, I gave you this insert for a reason and that is i want to show you a chiastic structure and then you go what in the world is that and i'll explain that often when you're reading scripture if you read it carefully you can see a pattern you can see an argument And what you can see from Isaiah 35 is that that first section that says A is speaking about creation being transformed. You see, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So that's creation. Now if you go all the way to the bottom of A, down to the very bottom, the little A, that's also speaking of creation. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, and the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. That's speaking of creation. Next, it speaks of humanity being transformed, strengthen the feeble hands. Say the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts. And then the, the second B down below. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. So you can see that. Creation, then humanity, humanity, creation. But here's the key. The very center. That little X there. The very center of this passage. The, the, the point that we must not miss as we're reading it. Because we miss it, right? You read scripture, I read scripture, you go, what in the world is it talking about? Well, this is the one thing it's talking about. You can miss everything, but you better not miss this in this passage. The center. Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. That's the key word. That God is going to come. He's going to come and save you. Now, before I get going on there, because I want to get going, I want to stop for just a second and ask you a question. Do you have weak hands and, a weak, knee, and weak knees? Are your heart, is your heart faint within you? When it comes to the Lord and His ways, are your eyes too dim, ears too dull, legs too weak, tongues too slow? Are you in a desert, a wilderness? Wonder where God is at? If so, then today's sermon is for you. Because in our reading from Isaiah... We find the people of Israel in a bad place. Israel was annihilated. Its holy temple profaned. The capital destroyed. The people shipped to Babylon. And then Psalm 137 even describes what it's like, how it felt to be one of God's people during this time. It says, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget his skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. And then the most graphic, I think, scripture in all of the Bible. I don't like even reading it, but it shows the despair of what's going on. The people of Israel, so despondent and so much pain, they say, Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones, like you did to us, and dashes them against the rock. Israel was in a bad place. They were in exile. They were in a wilderness of despair. They've been beaten. They've been abused. They've been mocked. And because of that, they are in such a vulnerable and weak spot. Their hearts have given way. And it says, Their hands are weak and their feet are feeble. Now, you should get a picture at this moment of a fighter. If you think of a fighter who's going to fight, their hands are up. And their knees are flexed and they're ready to move around. But what happens when that fighter gets tired? What happens when the fighter's heart gives way? What happens? And you've seen these commentaries. The hands start dropping. And their knees start giving away and there's not a lot of fight left. And then it's all over. Well, that's how it was for, for Israel. So beaten, so abused, so destroyed, so damaged that there's no fight left. There's no spring in their step. There's no will to strive against those who are pressing them. Now, in truth, we can say that they brought it upon themselves. And it's true. They served foreign gods. Their leaders went after um, unholy things. The people worshipped the Baals and Asheroth Poles. I mean, they did it upon themselves. But they're hurting. They're in a bad place. They're in a wilderness. Yes, a wilderness of their own doing, but they're still God's people. I think in many ways, the church in America is in such a place. Our heart is gone. Our hands have dropped. Our legs have stopped working. There's no spring in our step. We no longer fight for what's true. Instead, we let society dictate what we should do, and we follow going tossed to and fro at the whims of those around us no fight within us a young man came into my office this week he's actually not young but he looked really young but he came to my office and and he he said to me I was once a believer he says now I'm agnostic and we started talking about this we went went around and around this guy was very bright at first, I thought he was trying to pick a fight. In a little way, he was trying to pick a fight. But, but then I finally asked, well, what happened? Why don't you believe anymore? And he said, you know, the problem is Christians. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, the church is just so weak. The pastors are terrible. Church members don't know anything. He just said, I'm frustrated. It just seems like God's not even working among us. And then he said, because he's from a foreign country, he said, America's a banner a beacon of, of truth for the whole rest of the world as america goes so does the rest of the world when it comes to christianity and he said i fear for what's going to happen in my home country in 20 or 30 years from now there's no fight here there's not going to be any fight in my own country 20 or 30 years why should i even be a believer?" And I'll tell you, I didn't have a lot of good answers for him. I mean, I was going back and forth, and I thought a lot about later what to say. We talked and I gave him some books to read, and, and he did come back the next day. I wasn't there, but he stayed and, and read some more books. Um, so I have hope that God's not done with him. But his sentiment's so true. Our church is weak in America. There's no fight left. And yet, how do we pull ourselves out? How do we get strength to fight? What do we have to do to ignite a passion? That's the question. And yet, Isaiah would tell us, there's nothing that we can do to ignite that passion. There's nothing inside of us that can can make us strong. Instead, it has to come from outside. God must do something. God needs to work. And that's where we get back to verse 4 in our passage. Listen again. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Now, I have to admit that at first glance, when I read these passages, They seemed a little too frightening, right? This language of vengeance and divine retribution. When I read these words, I thought about a bumper sticker I once saw that said, God is coming, and he is ticked off. (laughs) Have you ever seen that bumper sticker? (laughs) But that's not the sense of this passage, I have to tell you. The sense is not that God is coming to, to smash us. No, because God's coming, it says, to save us. The sense isn't that he's coming to judge us. When God comes, he's going to have divine um, vengeance, but it's on sin, death, and the devil. He's going to smash that, smash our enemies, smash those principalities. But he's coming in a gentle way to save us. He's coming to deliver us. I mean, think about it. If this passage was simply about God's justice, there'd be no hope. How could we gain strength knowing that God's coming to smash us? I mean, my knees would get more weak. I'd probably wet myself. I mean, I'm sorry to say, but it's like... Even more than that, think of how bad of a situation they're in. It's already a desert. They're already called blind and deaf and mute and lame. I mean, if he's coming to, to bring justice, there is zero hope. And the only mercy would be, just wipe us out now, Lord. But that's not what he's doing. It says he's coming to save us. Listen again. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, for, you know, sin, death, and devil. But he'll come to save you. He'll come to deliver you. He will come to grace you. In fact, that's what this passage is about. It's God's grace that that comes, that causes him to deliver his people from sin, death, and the devil. It's God's grace that can go into a desert that's dry and barren and make a crocus appear and bring water to the desert. It's God's grace that can strengthen the weak and brokenhearted. It's God's grace that can heal the blind, the deaf, the lame, and the mute. Because it's things that we can't physically do, but that God can do. That's what Isaiah's speaking about. God's grace. God's mercy. But in truth, is he, he's talking really then about Jesus, isn't he? Jesus is the one who came to deliver us. Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Or 1 Timothy 1, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Or John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And do you remember verse 17? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world, to bring justice on the world, but to save it. Or Mark 10. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the grace of God. And that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus enters a barren world to give living water. And of course, the first thing he does in his ministry is to go into the wilderness to be tempted. To do what Adam and Eve couldn't do, but to go into that place and there to begin to redeem it. In fact, it's even more, it's in a wilderness, Samaria, where Jesus offers living water. And yet there's more. Jesus is the light of the world, a light to shine in the darkness. Jesus is the glory of Lebanon. Jesus is the splendor of Carmel. And all this talk about healing the blind, the deaf, the lame, the mute. Well, listen to Jesus' first sermon, Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's exactly what Jesus did wherever he went. He showed mercy to people. He gave sight to the blind, like blind Bartimaeus. He brought hearing to those who were deaf, like in our gospel reading. He set at liberty people who were oppressed, like the paralyzed man, lowered through the roof. He healed the sick, raised the dead, drove out demons, making them new. God's grace. And remember when John the Baptist, who affirmed that Jesus was the Son of God, and then when he was in prison, John the Baptist got in a very bad place. And he sent his disciples, say, Is is he really the one to come? And why do you think he's doubting? He's doubting because what did John the Baptist say? When the Messiah comes, he has an axe. He's going to chop down the tree, right? And suddenly John's in jail and he's looking at Jesus' ministry and he's going, Where's the axe? Where's the fire? Right? Is this really the one who's to come? And what's Jesus' reply? His reply is, tell John this, that the blind see, deaf hear, the lame walk. Tell him that what is the axe, what is the winnowing fork? It's God's mercy and his, his, his mercy and his love and his grace that will come and fight against sin, death, and the devil. But against us, it's mercy and grace and love and Forgiveness. Oh, what an axe to swing that Jesus swings. One that drives away the devil but brings healing to us. Maybe instead we could call it, instead of an axe, a a scalpel that surgically removes that cancer in us but puts us, makes us new and healed. And that's where we're all at today, aren't we? As we look around this world as we see a weak church as our own knees and our hands are weak where's the good news the good news is that you're not alone the good news is that people of faith have often found themselves in in such a position you're not alone and yes we usually bring it upon ourselves but God is always faithful The good news is that God comes to deliver his people. And he sent Jesus to deliver us, to save us. And Jesus does the impossible. He forgives your sin. Jesus does the impossible. He raises you from the dead. Jesus does the impossible. He makes a place for you in paradise with him. Jesus does the impossible. He puts faith in your heart. Jesus does the impossible. He gives you strength for the fight. Jesus does the impossible. He enters into bread and wine for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. So be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He has come, He continues to come. Yes, with, divine, with vengeance and divine retribution for sin, death, and the devil. But for you, he comes to save you. In Jesus' name, amen.